Old Gold Club. Powered by Blythe Group. With Mikey Burrows and Chris Iwalumo. Uh, hello there. Welcome along. I'm Mikey Burrows. He's Chris Iwalumo. Um, Mark Kennedy is here as well. All right. All right, Mark. Hello, thank you for having me. Nice um, to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you in here. Um, we will get to some of your stuff in just a second. We just want to have a, a quick thing that I wanted to um, highlight to people that um, we've done an awful lot of recordings because Mr. Wellamo is going to be a daddy again. So we needed to make sure that you've got a little bit of time. Appreciate that. No, thank you. Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks tomorrow. You're looking forward to it? No, it's it's going to be uh, well. I, I have done it before, but this is uh, it's going to be a special moment. See, by the time this goes out, You're it'll be in like two weeks, so we'll know. And yeah. it's going to be because you've not told me. He won't tell me whether it's a boy or a girl. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that. My wife was very much uh, don't tell anybody. I was like, what's what's the problem? You know, we're going to find out eventually. Uh, but people are a bit funny about that, aren't they? It's it's, uh, it's one of those things. I've found out before. We found out. Uh, this time, uh, and uh, we've just kept it to ourselves. So just uh, me, the missus, and close family. So yeah, just because I, I just think that you know, little Mikey Uelamo would be a, a great, <laughs> a great name for it. Yeah, no, good. Keep that in mind. Because your missus loves me anyway. So she does. She does. Thanks very highly of you, Mikey. Yeah. Phone. She knew the real Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's looking at me like this isn't the guy that normally <laughs> interviews me when I'm we do three this one. We've had a lot of reaction recently as well to uh, something that we put out on a recent episode, which was uh, Chris Wellamo singing Mark Kennedy, uh, his little secret talent, because uh, Loom's got approached to be on Celebrity X Factor. Oh, wow. And turned it down, and it got us thinking about um, former Wolves players who would be good on reality TV. Um, the fan cast got in touch and said, uh, "Shortly, Courtney Hawes on Love Island, asking people if they want him to rap. Uh, Andy Gillard says, Brian Law on Coach Trip. Uh, oh, yeah. a famous yeah, story yeah. of Nick in the bus. I know that one. Um, John Matrix uh, was talking about John DeWolf. And apparently, John DeWolf has had a number of reality TV shows on him in Holland, including Living with John, Cooking with John, and Sleeping with John. Um, Dutch TV. Uh, probably don't want to go into any more than that. Um, Steve Plant says, Steve Daly for Celebrity Jungle, funniest bloke I've ever come across. George Ellacobi for Strictly. He did have a few moves in him. George, yeah. Uh, Greg Halford for Love Island. Uh, Kevin Muscat for Celebrity Big Brother. He wouldn't last a day. Another one here says, got to be Kevin Muscat. Just think in the Big Brother house, if somebody took his meal, he'd put them through the wall. <laughs> uh, Matthew Lloyd also says Kevin Muscat on Celebrity Jungle. You know Kevin Muscat. Kevin was one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. But on the pitch, he was lunatic do you remember Danny Tiato played for City yeah the left left back yeah yeah so they, they were the same Danny was the quietest nicest gentle guy you'd ever meet in your life but on the pitch he was a space cadet but he was he was a lunatic yeah. and um, I mean I can remember playing with Kevin and we played Grimsby at home on the Saturday he actually did get sent off but all week he was basically telling us what he was going to do to another player. And he didn't get that player in the end, but he got sent off for actually elbowing somebody else. 
just when it came to football. But I, ne- I never had any problems when I played against them. And I remember playing for Ireland and I remember chatting to Kevin Kilban, who was playing for West Brom at the time. And we were away in a camp together and he was saying, uh, you know, who have you got at the weekend spark? And that's like, oh, we're playing Wolves and that. He's like, oh my God, that Kevin Muscat's an animal. <laughs> and I was like, really? I said, oh, I, and I never experienced any of that. We had really good games. He was a really good player. And I always found it really, really tough playing against him. But he never did anything to me. And Kev was like, he'd be standing on my Achilles, he'd be pinching me, he'd be punching me, he'd be doing, he'd be kicking me when I'm on the ground. And he's like, the guy's an animal. But I never, ever seen that. But uh, as I said, you know, that day when we played Grimsby here, we lost. I think we won one nil actually at the Molyneux. He, uh, I think he elbowed somebody in the head, actually. And he got a red card. But yeah. Was, I think so it's just it's in training, he was just normal. Just a really good pro, really good player. You know, I wouldn't, he wouldn't try and hurt anybody. He was tough, like he was a hard player, but very, very fair. I think it's an Australian thing. <laughs> Defence mechanism, that's it. I played with uh, out in Denmark. Uh, Steve, Steve, I'm trying to think of his second name. And he used to write poetry. He was so calm in his voice. And as soon as he walked over that line, he was red cards left. I mean, he was, he was an animal. Yeah. But challenges you just wouldn't make in football. And then you come in after the match and he's been sent off and... He's apologising to everyone. He's calm, but yeah. every day, just an absolute gentleman of a man, you know. They're out there. They are. They are out there. <laughs> Did you have a little bit about you? No, I was a complete coward. I've never made a tackle in my life. No, I wasn't part of my contract. <laughs> you, you, weren't pay, you were paid to set up goals, not <laughs> I, to... I was paid to jump out of tackles. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have been good on reality TV? No, 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 no. I, I actually, it's funny actually in the modern world we live in and we look, actually, as you were saying that, I thought Matt Murray would be perfect for all of them shows. Um, Matt Murray would never last in the jungle. He'd be too big for the beds for a start. He'd never get voted out. He's just too nice. He's unbelievable. He's yeah. just too nice. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm not into all, I, I have to say, I've, I don't think I've watched a reality TV programme. I don't have time. I don't have time. I've got three little young boys. So I don't have time now. I, th- I think you'd be good on some reality TV. Oh, trust me. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> <laughs> i say there's probably quite a lot of players from your Wolves era that would be Alex Ray, a few people talked about. Yeah, Alex, Alex I was quite... So I played with Alex at Millwall um, when he was... Like, Alex was a really, really good player, but the, the, the group that they had at Millwall, like Keith Stevens and Gavin McGuire, Pat Vanden Howe, Terry Horlock, you know, Alex, Andy Roberts, for people who I mean, they, they was like, you know, kind of lads, lads. That was like a hell of an environment to be in. Um, but when Alex had came to Wolves, he was a completely different guy, a completely different character. And um, he'd obviously had some some troubles and strife uh, along the way, but he he'd completely changed as a person. And uh, I mean, he was a lovely guy at Millwall, but you you knew he was a, a lad's lad. And you know, those guys, you know, finish training, get down to the pub, and all that jazz. But um, by the time he he'd come here, his life had completely changed. And yeah. he was still a fantastic footballer. He was just a completely different professional. Because you mentioned Millwall, like I, I kind of had forgotten just how much of a career you'd had before you came to Wolves. Like I always remember you from the Man City days, just <clears throat> beforehand. But I mean, you were at Millwall, Liverpool. I, I was at Liverpool. I wouldn't say I played there, but I, I was there for three years partying. Was that it? Pretty much. Because you were um, the most expensive teenager in English football at the time. I was, yes. That must be pretty special, though. Um, yeah, you don't. I think. I mean, Chris, you'll know when you play football. You just want to play football, stuff like that. 
I, I didn't really care about. You just want to play football. Um, and obviously being so young, uh, something that I think is missing in football today, I just loved football and just wanted to play football and care whether it was... I mean, obviously it was great to play for Liverpool and be connected with such a big club as a Liverpool fan, but you just want to be on the grass playing football. And I actually think a lot of that is missing from football today. Um, I think a huge part of it's gone. Yeah, it gets in the way social media and all it's, that. It's crackers. It's crackers. Um, yeah, it is. Like if you go into um, we, we the, the lads at Wolves, they're great lads. They're really good, really really good lads. They're really well grounded. But you know, you walk past a modern dressing room now. Um, I went into the dressing room a few weeks ago. I went in because I couldn't believe what I seen. I walked past and I went in and I counted ten lads in there, and every one of them was on the phone. I was like, get off your phone, talk to each other, communicate. What are you doing? Probably all sat there texting each other. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll say, I've, I, I've met a few people. This is the first time we've actually been in each other's company, but we've, I've heard a lot of good things about you, about how nice you are and the way that you speak. And you've said about certain environments that you've been in, and some of them, some big characters in there. Is it something that you, because I know that you just love football, but you've still got to be able to survive in an environment like that you know what I mean so you know like and it is it can be a little bit daunting for a young player can't it to go in there and and be themselves and express themselves so what 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 did you do or is it just something that you have to just man up and I was I don't know why I I wasn't an arrogant person in any way shape or form but I just wanted to show everybody how I'm not saying I was any good but in my mindset I just wanted to show everybody how good I was and when I first came to England on my first day training I just wanted to show the coach and all the English players that I was a really good player and I'm not saying I was a good player in any way shape or form but that was my mindset I think ultimately I just loved football so I think when you love football, you play with a smile on your face. And if you're playing with a smile on your face, there's more chance of you expressing yourself better. Um, one of my biggest disappointments in football was probably learning pretty early, because when you get into the first team quite early, is realising that it's now a job and it takes the fan out of you. Yeah. Uh, especially, I hated playing for Ireland. I didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't hate it, that's the wrong word actually, but I didn't enjoy it. And I got to a point where, which I've been quite open with, I used to just say I was injured, I didn't enjoy it. And, you know, one of my best days ever as a kid, I'll always remember um, in, in in Euro 88 when Ray Houghton scored the header against England. Um, you know, because a big rivalry growing up from Dublin and stuff like that. Like, I remember, I remember the house I was in jumping around on the bed like a crazy young kid. Been the most amazing experience, and then, you know, we drew Russia, Russia won all, Ronnie Whelan scored the most incredible goal ever. And then I remember playing for Ireland really, really young and it's been so young in a short space of time and thinking that enjoyment's gone, I don't have that anymore. It was like, it's job now. Yeah. And you're going to work and you need three points and <clears throat> not so much the pressures, but that little kid playing and loving football, is kind of, it, it gets taken away. So you were like 16, 17, weren't you? I was 16 when I made my debut and I was 19, I was a full international, yeah. So you, you But it's great because you grow up quick. Yeah, so there is a negative side to that because you can coach the fun out of a player. Absolutely, you? yeah. You know, you, you hear it all the time, yeah, he's very raw, but yeah. he still attracts, because the, the, he, he, he deserves the, the attention that he's getting, but it's then you think, right, he's got the potential of this, potential of that, but then we actually, they learn the rules of the game, they mm -hmm. know the responsibilities, then all of a sudden they're not doing things off the cuff because it has been either, is that a fear element as well? Because I think, Young young players today uh, are very robotic. They yeah. know what they have to do, but they won't think outside the box and actually go and, 
you know, like I'm sure in all the teams that you've played in, there's been leaders in there that say, "Don't listen to what the manager says. This is they're on top. <laughs> we're doing this. We're doing this." Today. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's kind of gone from the game today, hasn't it? A little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the skill of the coach is understanding the players. Um, certainly, a big thing in academy football. We want uh, players who can think for themselves. Yeah, uh, because if I keep telling. Player A, do this, do that. What happens when he's in a situation that he's not been in and he can't think for himself? So we want players who can make decision makers. We don't want robots. And um, you know, I mean, you know, Chris, we talked about kids. You got kids in that. You know, if I sit down with my son tonight and I'm reading a story and I read it for him, he's not going to learn. So my son will read a story and he'll say he say a couple of big words, but he's just reading off the page. So he's reading what he's seeing. But what does that word mean? Or yeah, what? What's yeah. or what? What? So in in a story, what's the start of the story? What's the middle of it? How does it end? What's the meaning of the story? Instead of just reading a page or eight, ten pages, whatever it is. So I say to my son, "What is the story about? What does that word mean? Where does it fit in the story?" So yeah. it's the same in football. Yeah. Do you think that's what made you a success, both as a player and then as a coach afterwards? That you look into things a little bit more like that. <sighs> I honestly don't know. I think. I don't I don't really have an answer. I kind of analyze things a lot, probably too much. Um yeah, I I overanalyze things, but I'd rather do that than walk away from something, you know, just passing it to one side and paying it no attention. Don't always get the right answer, trust me. So but. even when you were playing, you analysed your performance, what you did at training. Did Well, you said yourself that like, you never, it was something that you've probably learned a little bit later. You know, because like, as, as footballers, you get told to do something, you just go and do it. You don't really think behind it, or did you? No, as a, as a so sadly, as a footballer, I didn't analyse training, so we would just train every day. But I do stuff like I'd come in on a Monday and let's say you were doing a possession or a five-a-side, I'd have a look to see who was on my team. Yeah. So say if I was at Wolves and you know Incy and Jolene and people like that were on my team, I'd go, well, he's a starter, he's a starter, he's a starter, he's a starter. So <laughs> I'd, you know, I remember being at Crystal Palace. It's quite older in my career. But I remember I could come in on a Monday and I'd know I wasn't playing on Saturday. I could just tell by the people I was training with. Just with the bibs getting handy though. Yeah, that. You that. yeah. E- even little things, I could, you you can tell the way a manager is with you. It talks to you. Exactly. So when I'm speaking to any players, I try and speak to everybody the same. Yeah. Uh, whether they're in the team, out of the team, I think it's really important that you treat everybody the same, but you treat everybody well. There's no point in treating everybody the same if you're treating them all like you know what. Um, so it's finding the balance. I used to get a lot of flack off the lads when I was at Wolves because I had a fantastic relationship with, with, with the manager and he was really, really good to me. Um, and that was really, really fantastic for me. But I do my utmost to make sure, as a coach, everybody gets time so nobody feels left out, nobody feels special, but nobody feels on the floor. Because Dave Jones signed you for Cardiff then, didn't he? Yeah, I, I rang him up and badgered him. I hadn't got a club. So <laughs> like, Dave, please, you've got to help me out. Um, Dave, Dave was brilliant. I loved working with Dave. He had an amazing skill of... Um, he didn't really coach and he didn't really manage. He, he, he used to let the players really kind of run the dressing room. And I don't mean that in a weak way. No. He had a fantastic skill. He was brilliant at identifying people. And he got the right characters together. And um, he was a good talent spotter. He, he was very good at bringing... You think of the people he played against, like, say, somebody like Jason Kumas, who lost his way a little bit at West Brom and went in at Cardiff and ripped it up, got Chopra back on, Ross McCormack yeah. in Scotland, who nobody knew yeah. anything about. And, you know, he was very good at... Jay Bothroyd, who had had God knows how many clubs. I mean, Jay played for England while he was in the Championship. Yeah. 
they was brilliant at getting those maverick type players and max if you ask a lot of the players that played under Dave like your Kumasas and Chops and Ross McCormack and, and people like that, and even myself you know those types of players I reckon they had the most successful spell under Dave and that was Dave's skill set because you played for some some interesting different types of coaches you had uh, obviously Joe Royal in the Man City days and yep. at the end Roy Keane yep. at Ipswich yeah, what was that like? You know, I signed for Ipswich purely to work under Roy. That's what um, I mean. Ipswich is a great club. I've always looked at clubs first before you go anywhere. Um, first and foremost, I was a big club with a good history. Um, that was it. But I signed to work with Roy. I'd played with Roy for Ireland. I always got on really, really well with him. Um, I always really, really liked him. He was an amazing player. So my biggest disappointment was when I signed there. I knew he was under pressure. And unfortunately, he lost his job quite early, so I never really got to experience, you know, firsthand what it was like working with him. But I, I enjoyed working with him. You know, I enjoyed all the, I enjoyed all the managers I worked with, and I can put my hand on my heart and say some of them I thought were awful. Yeah. But I probably learned more off them. I'm not saying they were awful managers. I didn't see it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't see it. I never disrespect <clears throat> them, but there's a couple of guys I worked with, and I was like, nah, don't. I don't get you, but I looked at stuff they did, and I learned loads from. I definitely won't do that, and I definitely won't yeah, do I that. And I will yeah. change that, and if I ever coach, I'll do that different. I learned more off those guys. You learn off the great ones, the good ones, whatever, hundred percent. But you have to be clever enough or bright enough to learn off everybody you work with. Everybody can give you something, whether the top, bottom, middle. You have to be able to pick something up off everybody. I think it's important that you're. That you keep your identity as well, what you want to be as a as as a as a person, as as a coach. Uh, but it's it's important that like you like you say, you take those little things that you like and try and implement mm -hmm. them into your own philosophy as well. But you absolutely. have to have an identity yeah. yourself, don't you? A absolutely, absolutely. And I think you have to also be big enough to put your hand up and say, "I've I've got that one wrong, and that one didn't work out," and rather than you know failing to admit where you have got it wrong, and you. Ultimately, I say to players all the time, you get it a lot in academy football, how do we learn? You learn from making mistakes. Yeah. You win 5 nil. you don't really learn that much. You lose 5 nil. oh, you learn an awful lot. Yeah. Nobody wants to lose 5 nil. by the way. <laughs> Is Roy Keane as scary as he comes across on TV? Um, sorry, the reason I'm pausing is because I don't, I don't know this, I don't know Roy very well, but... I think he just wants people to treat him normally. I don't think he likes people. Most people, like, you know, crumble when they come in around them. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't know this, but I always got the imp I always just would treat him like any person. I'd come in, morning gaffer, how are you? If I was with him for 60 sec seconds, I wouldn't overstay my welcome because I didn't want to take the, <laughs> the, the, the pee. And, I, and he doesn't, I got the impression he doesn't want people chatting to him because of who he is. So yeah. I'd come in and have a short conversation, bang him on my way and I'd get out. And that, that worked for me. I think it worked for him. Um, I think he just wanted to be treated normally. But most people, uh, it was quite funny. He's one of the few people I knew. If a great example was I was on the treatment table. Again, shock. Uh, I was on the treatment table in Ipswich and you couldn't see the front door, the entrance to the, the physio's room. And there was three or four lads in the room who were just talking up. And I didn't hear the door open, but I knew he was in the room. I could just tell by the player's face. <laughs> and then he just popped his head around the corner after a minute. Hello, Sparky. Gaffer. 
and he had that about him. But yeah. I really like that about him. He, yeah. he has like he has incredible aura, and he carries it well. I really like him. I remember uh, Andy Reid, good friend of mine. Uh, he got into the squad, Ion squad, and I remember he said, uh, "Roy's got the ball, and he's turned to him. He's only a couple of meters away, and he's fired. I mean, he's yeah. pinged it into him, and, and Reedy's." He said he's, he's took a touch and controlled it. He's passed it off and nothing. But really says, you know what? I'm gonna do the same back. Yeah. And he, swear, and he said he fired it. He put everything <laughs> on it. And Roy just went touch, pass it off. Never even acknowledged them. And he just yeah. thought, just he just said that, like you said, the presence. Just that he just you knew he was in a room. The quality that he had. Yeah. He just he, he set the he set a level and he expected everyone to yeah. be there. Pot. It's funny. It's interesting hearing you that story. You said. Um, you know, because it, it, it definitely sounds to me like Paul Ince was the exact same here. Yeah. Paul Ince would fire a ball into you properly. Like, there's, I believe when you play a sub ball to somebody, they should be able to look you in the eye and go, You're taking a piss there. Like, it's a bit, but you should be able to deal with it. Like, Inti would put a bit more on it. Yeah. But if you dealt with it, he'd respect you more for that. I'm not saying you had to be good enough to deal with it. Um, but he didn't really like, you know, tippy tappy noises. You know, he wanted you to pass him a ball like that. You know, when you pass the ball, put you know, make sure you fizz it into me. And Roy used to do that in. I remember training with Roy, and he would do that in. You know, old school warm ups. Well, you know, eight players here, eight there, just pass and follow. He would lash it into you, yeah. but you'd lash it back at him. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he was a hell of a he was a hell of a player. Because on Paul Ince, uh, Paul Butler was in a couple of weeks back, and he said he said that Paul Ince in training would just have a big coat on, would wander around. <laughs> And then as soon as it came to shooting practice, the coat came off and he was pinging them into the corners. Uh, do you know what? I can't really remember into training, to be honest. I mean, he did train a lot. He was for his age when he was here. He wasn't 21, but he was he was very rarely injured, actually. Probably the very last year of his career. I remember he, he had a thigh injury and he was like, I remember him saying to me, my thigh's so what's that? And I was like, well, have you pulled your thigh? He's like, I don't know. I've never had a thigh injury in my life. And I was like, I've been playing for 700 years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a bit... You know, those days, I remember Den- Dennis was 38. Dennis used to come out and just lash balls everywhere. No stretching, nothing. He'd be rifling shots everywhere. And then we get in the car and away home, we look around. Dennis would be fast asleep in the back of the car like an old man. Um, yeah, anyway, there we go. Moving on. We've got a lot of that to talk about when we get into the show properly <laughs> in just a moment. Loads to talk about with Mark Kennedy after we've heard from our backers this season, the Blythe Club. <laughs> This season, the Old Gold Club and Wolves TV Match Day Live are powered by Blythe Group. An industry-leading construction company and family-run business since 1982, driving investment and infrastructure across the UK. Blythe Group's mission is to provide an unrivaled service based on innovative, bespoke building solutions and comprehensive customer support. If you're a skilled tradesperson and you want to join the team that powers our team, contact their bases in Wolverhampton, Manchester or Maidenhead via theblythegroup.co.uk. Blythe Group. Big enough to deliver, small enough to care. Christmas is coming and this year Juni Wolves are doing something a little different. In partnership with the Lighthouse in Wolverhampton, Monday the 9th and Tuesday the 10th of December are Junior Wall's Christmas Movie Nights. Tickets are just £10, including a drink, popcorn and a gift, plus there'll be some special guests too. 
To book your place, call 0371 222 1877. That's 0371 222 1877 or visit ticket.walls.co.uk. Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me as ever is Chris Wellamo. In this episode, we're joined by a man who made 172 appearances over five years. Welcome to the Old Gold Club, Mark John Kennedy. Can't believe you know my middle name, but thank you. <laughs> nice to be here. That's the beauty of Wikipedia, my friend. <laughs> it is always on there. Um, there is loads that we want to get into with you, and there is one obviously standout moment in Cardiff that we will get to very soon. But I want to take you back right to when you first joined Wolves, because um, you were the star of a real splurge of spending that Dave Jones made to try and finally end the wilderness years. And you did it, not quite as soon as you maybe wanted to, but that was a, a real kind of exciting time. Yeah, it was really good. It was lovely to be part of. Um, and I think I was probably one of the first signings he made. But I genuinely did think as one of those players that the club had got it wrong in terms of you had an amazing club with amazing history, but no training ground. And I always felt going in every day, the foundations of the club was wrong. So they spent all this money on myself and various other people. And even being one of those players, I still felt they should have spent it on on the training ground, the facilities and building the club and the environment up, etc., etc., which they've done now anyway, which is fantastic. Um, but from a football perspective, it was amazing to be part of. It's a great club and, you know, I had five great years here. I loved it and, uh, you know, fond memories. Because there was you, Colin Cameron, Nathan Blake, Alex Ray, Kenny Miller, Dean Sturridge. I think it was like at least over 10 million, which is, in that time was an awful lot of money for a championship team. Yeah, and I think Dave deserves a huge amount of credit because barring a couple, basically what he, he did was he brought in a lot of young experienced players if that makes sense and I think 80% of us had already been promoted and I didn't realise but that's what he did he went out and got players who'd been there done it at a young age and still had plenty more years left on the clock and I thought it was quite clever what he did actually and obviously it worked so I think he deserves a lot of credit for that You've already touched on on, on Dave as as a manager what, what kind of player that he brought in but he brought in players that I guess that he could trust to kind of govern the dressing room themselves doesn't matter Okay, yeah, you've got the experience, the beat out there and got promotion before, but he brought in a, a group of leaders, players of experience, and that that's a big thing as well as him as a manager as well. So he could just let you go on with it. Yeah, he was very big on uh, personalities. He liked players to run the dressing rooms. If there was a problem, he would expect us to deal with it and sort it out ourselves. He, he certainly wasn't a weak manager in any way, shape or form. He just liked his, even though we were a young group, it was quite a senior group, it was in good knowledge and understanding of football at young ages. Um, and he used to let you kind of run run your own ship basically um you know we didn't take the mick or anything like that but it's any disagreements or anything like that it was heavily around well sorted out between yourselves and if it couldn't get sorted he would step in and deal with it which what, what about the tactical side of the of the game you know like preparation things like that is that something that that can be questioned or with dave yeah um do you know what when i played football here at wolves it was heavily geared around uh a very good manager, but very good coaches. But it just wasn't complicated. Every day was um, crossing and shooting, possession, small side of games. And a Saturday was 
pretty much there's a football go and play enjoy yourselves express yourselves and play in a wall's way um i think football today is completely different and the levels are so high and the money at stake and the, the small percentages the micro percentages are can be so valuable and getting to the next level i don't really feel we had that back then it was just good players put together um maybe that's what cost us in the end um in the premier league maybe that's why we came up short i mean i know we didn't spend a lot of money when we went up anyway which didn't help mm. but um maybe if there's a i know stuart gray came in was a massive help and to, tactically things started to change and stuff like that then um but dave was very good at what he did and i worked with him at, at cardiff and he was the exact same and even before i went to cardiff he'd obviously i know we're talking about wolves but he'd uh, taken cardiff to the premier league and on the verge of promotion etc etc and even by the time i came he'd a playoff final and stuff like that so he'd be very very good at what he did um i would say dave's skill set was identifying players and maximizing the potential it's just interesting because we, I think the reason Looms brings that up is because Lee Naylor was quite critical of Dave Jones in the Premier League season mm-hmm. or Premiership as it was then. For kind of, he felt that there wasn't enough preparation done for the individual games, but yet Paul Butler puts a lot of what happened in that season firmly down to the not spending enough money to bring in another level of player. Yeah, I was in the, I'm firmly in the not spending any money brigade because I remember thinking like what players are we bringing in where are they coming from and we I think we we, we spent next to nothing uh, I mean Lee's a good friend I love him to bits he's a great lad we had a great time together um, and he got on well with Dave but I wouldn't say they had the best relationship on the planet which I think sometimes can not cloud people's judgment but it may paint a slightly stiffer picture than a friendlier one than somebody I mean they, they got on really well but I wouldn't have said they had a relationship that certain other people had with the manager which happens at every club um, so that went, you know for me it was purely I looked at it from a financial perspective because I find it interesting that players can be quite honest and say we should have bought more people in even though that that could have meant you not playing yeah I mean ultimately you have to be big enough to say that um, you know you all want the best and players are selfish and footballers are selfish and they think about themselves but um, ultimately it's what's you know best for the club and I'd I'd want I, we all want to play football every week but I also want to be part of a successful team and if I'm not in that team I know I'll progress in it because it's doing well and it's got good players and it's having success and then there becomes a point where you go do you know what now I need to play some games and you, and you move on but um, yeah, but as a footballer no matter who comes in you believe that you should play that's no. It's like you know you have that belief in yourself. You should be starting, no matter who comes through that door. It's competition that should get the best out of you. But I think you see all these players. They move from club to club, and you think he's not going to play there. But they genuinely believe that they're going to go there, and they got the ability and the quality to showcase that they deserve to be playing. I think. Or, that, or am I wrong? No, I think you're absolutely right. But I think unfortunately some people are blinded or misguided and thinking they're better than what they are. Yeah. And sometimes it's about understanding where you are, where your ceiling is, where your level is, and where does that fit. So I wanted to play for Real Madrid, but I wasn't good enough. But I was bright enough to understand it was never going to happen. And I think with footballers, they can be quite ignorant into thinking that they're a lot better than what they are. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say anyway. We've kind of jumped ahead to uh, that Premiership season. I want to take you back to that first campaign because you as a group were flying and then it stopped. 
Uh, yeah, it all stopped. Uh, so Kevin Muscat signed for Rangers in in January, but pretty much so. It, it, you know, it could uh, sign for a club outside of England. Um, so that had a little effect on on what happened. Then, as discussed earlier, he nearly decapitated somebody against Grimsby, and he got sent off in the same game. I tore my groin, um, and so I can't remember who it was, but somebody else was missing at a pivotal time. So we lost three really big players. Um, I think after that, West Brom went on the most unbelievable run ever. Because yeah. I think we were 11 points clear of them with eight games left. Something ridiculous yeah. like that. Um, and then they went on, as I said, the most incredible. I think they might, am I exaggerating? I think they won something like nine of the last 10 games, 1 0 or something. Something <coughs> ridiculous. Is that right? Pretty much, yeah. And uh, But I think over the course of a season, whoever deserve, whoever goes up deserves it. You don't, you don't go up on the last 10 games, it's over 46 games. But. Uh, it's fair to say um, we did implode a little bit. There's no doubt about that. Talk, the, oh, sorry, talk to me about that that environment because obviously you're sitting top. You know your 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 points ahead. Obviously you've you've picked up an injury, but you're still around the group. And you're mm-hmm. West Brom were on that run. You just they're surely talking about it, thinking you know what we've got to got to pull a finger out here. Or it will it will it, we will get that result. Don't worry about it. Or was it complacency? What I what, what I th- I will go. I think it was more so. We'll get that result, and then the closer it got, to, I remember the last game of the season. Um, you know, needing a result, and all of a sudden it was like, oh god, we're in trouble here. And then once you don't go, we drew with uh, Sheffield Wednesday away. I think Adam Proudlock scored. I you think. made yourself available for that. Were you hundred percent? No, so I, don't I think you were, were you? no, I really shouldn't have played, and I played that day. Um, in fairness to the staff I think everybody was under a lot of pressure because um, I'd been saying for a long time I'm not fit I'm not fit I'm not fit <laughs> then I'm starting the game but once you cross over the white line you're fit so you get on with it because um, so I kind of fell out with the, the I kind of fell out with the club a little bit over that because we then played Norwich in the playoff semis and I think the game was on the Sunday and I trained on the Friday and I was like look I'm sorry I'm not fit I can't I'm not going and naturally, you know, Dave was quite upset about that, and we, I think we lost four two, and uh, I think it was on the bench for the home game. Yeah, you, I think you came off in the se- came on in the second. I did. Game. I came on. I think we won one nil. Kevin Cooper scored a worldie. I think I came on for Kev, um, but no, I wasn't fit. And just to top it all off, it was World Cup year. I actually got to the final twenty two of the World Cup squad and uh, played the last game before they went away and for Ireland, and we scored, set up a goal, but I. If again, I went to Mick and said, I can't go. I pulled out of the World Cup. I just wasn't. I ended up having an operation in the end. Unfortunately, I'd wasted four months of telling the club I wasn't fit, them telling me I was fit, and ended up being out for another three months on top of that. So it was a pretty torrid time for everybody, pretty angry time. How did you kind of come to terms with that, that you missed the chance to play in a World Cup final? I was absolutely livid, and I made it clear to, to, to the club and some, but the only time in my life that I ever went and spoke to the big hitters in the club, um, you know, when you say for four months you're telling everybody I'm not fit, I'm not fit, I'm not fit, and everybody's telling you you're okay. And I remember having quite a, quite a heated conversation with Dave at the end of the year um, because he'd obviously had his end of season board meeting, and I'm, I'm assuming he got a tough time with that. I remember he rang me and we had quite a heated conversation and but the grace of God the season had finished I was actually out at the time I'd, I was out with some friends and I'd had a few drinks and because I'd had a few drinks I said to myself don't say anything you might regret 
Um, but I would have been well within my rights to say what I was really thinking, yeah. but I didn't. Anyway, we, we, we got on with it, and Dave's a top guy. It was one of those things. I understood the pressure he was under, and uh, thankfully, um, the following year, I think the, I'm absolutely positive the experience of not going up is the reason why we went up the following year, no doubt about it. Because you mentioned that pressure. Uh, I said to Paul Butler the other week that I think there was a point in that second season for you because you'd missed the first couple of months, hadn't you? I came back in the middle of November. Yeah, where around about that time, Sir Jack kind of made a comment in the media that was about like reminding Dave about the expectation, which is kind of as close to the the kind of public <laughs> vote of confidence, the dreaded public vote of confidence as you could get, really. Yeah, I felt sorry for Dave, and and in terms, one thing I was very aware of was the club. The club had had so many years and frustrations of not being in the top flight, and um, a lot of you know, you know, pent up energy, and with everybody was so desperate to go up and have success. It's such a big and iconic club again. Like that heavily weighed on the players. I I can remember it like it was yesterday, because I, I remember often saying like not my fault I am, I've only just come here it's not my fault if this has happened but um, that's the way it was and I think Dave took a lot of that of you know X amount of years of hurt and not having been in the top flight and there was a huge pressure on him to get promoted um, that definitely weighed heavily on the team but I think thankfully there was a lot of big big characters in there that were able to deal with it and get on with it So that's that. it's funny that you see that I think Dave as a manager I think with that that pressure, that responsibility, he's got to protect the squad a little bit because that's a, that's the manager's role, isn't it? But you're saying that there was that much that it did filter into that the group of players as well. It was really obvious to me, certainly. I I actually never discussed it with anybody else. Never discussed it. We used to myself, Paul, Dennis, um, Michael Oakes. We lived in Manchester or in and around you know similar areas. We travelled in every day together. It was never brought up. But I know in my head, I I used to think constantly about it. I could feel that pressure all the right, time, okay. maybe even a little more so because he'd spent quite a bit of money on you. Um, Dave was brilliant at protecting us and never mentioned it, and would he really, really would look after the players. And yeah, um, I can't. Well, I can't actually remember. Guys, the lad who used to write for the local paper here was just so critical. Everything was bad news. If we won five nil, it could have been eight, or it should have been eight. If we won five one, we'd conceded a goal. And I just remember thinking what's this guy's agenda and I didn't even live in Wolves yeah. but we were all aware of it um, flip side of that is a kind of spurs you on and it's of a kind it's... of a siege mentality well that's not it's not us against them but there's a few people gunning for us so let's just get our heads down crack on with it did you put extra pressure on yourself like you say you've already touched on the other money that was spent you knew the qualities that you bring to the group what you bring when you go out and step across that line did you put more pressure on yourself to deliver um, I just was quite single-minded and wanted to do. I, I, I ultimately wanted to do well for myself, but was fully aware of if I'm doing well, it'll benefit the team. And I think that goes for whether you're a goalie or a striker. So one end of the picture, in you know, if you, if you're doing well, I've only played with a handful of players who would play well for themselves, which didn't benefit the team. Um, when you look at the career you've had, you'll have played with a few of them. So ultimately, I pushed myself for me and knew that if I was doing the business certainly because of the position I played, hopefully it would benefit the team. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you want to be the best at whatever you do. And touched on it earlier, I just loved playing football and, you know, amazing stadium. I mean, there's a lot of great stadiums around now, but back in 2001, there weren't many grounds like that in the championship. 
Um, so it was like playing here was amazing. It brought its own pressures because teams would turn up and go, wow, this yeah. is amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you walk out onto the pitch and you see, the, you know, how colourful it is and full houses every week, you just, you walked onto the pitch and it was like, this, this is me, this is me. It didn't always work like that, but... I was going to say, being a left winger, there's no hiding place for you out there. No, I used to find playing on the far side was like the graveyard shift. You could hear everything, you know, if, if it wasn't going. Because naturally, your near side, you can hear all those individual comments of, you know, well, I can't say on, on here, but, you know, you hear the, um, uh, the displeasure of some people, shall we say. <laughs> can't have been that much, though, because you are loved. Uh, no, just it's not necessarily directed at you, but you're the nearest person yeah, to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, you know, like last week um, came to the, the the Europa League game. I was in the director's box. There was somebody going ballistic behind me, and it's just people's passion coming out. Uh, <laughs> probably the director, but um, no, it's just people. People are passionate. People just get so caught up in the emotion and of the, of the game and the occasion and. Whereas as a player or an ex-player, you're thinking, you know, calm down, don't worry, it'll happen. And, you know, eventually they scored, the team played well, we get three points. But as a fan, I think you want it, you want it now and not, you know, you want everything, you know, yeah. yesterday and not tomorrow, if that makes sense. Because there is always, I say, there, there are genuinely, and you, you're a modest guy, so you won't like me saying it, but genuinely, there are a huge amount of fans of my age and slightly younger who absolutely idolise you. Thank you very much. Especially for that moment at Cardiff. It was just nice to be a part of a great time. And the flip side of talking about the pressures that we felt of the years of Hort and not having promotion, and you're looking at other local clubs around. I mean, Villa were very doing great at the time. West Brom had been up and down a couple of times. Uh, the flip side of that pressure was then to be part of to be part of the success it completely outweighed uh, the pressure that came with it, you know. And then, to, you know, once once it's done, it's done. Once you win, you win. I remember walking off at uh, the Millennium Stadium, thinking, "Well, nobody can ever take that away from me. Yeah. Uh, not me. What what the, the the club and the team and Dave and Sir Jack and the collective, what we'd achieved is done. It's you know, when you wake yeah, up tomorrow." Yeah, no, it's it is lovely. It is really, really nice. Um, but you know, you've been in it a long time. It's it's an old cliche. There's, you know, it's a team sport, and um, so it was just great to be part. Of. It was a great time, and and just seeing the the, the you know the excitement and the pleasure of and um, I did an interview for the club to the day at half time, and the lady Charlotte who took me up uh, onto the the the, the out of the tunnel she's like oh my god I was at Cardiff I was like, like Jesus how old were you uh, so you still get people talking about yeah. it now it's, it's, so you know. is that weird because I mean you can look around everybody loves you in this room there'll be people watching this who'll be like oh my god like, I remember seeing you at a game a few years ago when you were I think scouting for somebody right. and I was like oh my god that's Mark Kennedy <laughs> thank you but it is though it's that thing it's you know that moment will live Forever for and so many people. It's lovely to hear that. The and you know, the biggest compliment I can pay it is that it's equally the same for me to be part of that. So it's it's just as meaningful and um, and rewarding for me as the player that was part of it, as the fan that lived through it and shared it. So and same for all the players, I would imagine. Can we actually talk about that goal as well? I mean, it is a brilliant hit, and it was only when I watched it back the other day in preparing for this where you were like, 
You were absolutely... You went after the cameraman. There was like a such an outpouring. Yeah, and I'll tell you what it was, to be honest. We had trained really hard that week, and we, we trained here for most of the week. And I remember just putting myself in a zone and shutting my way, myself away from everybody and just being me and focusing. And um, I'd had seven months out injured, which I touched on. Apologies for boring you about that. Um, when the playoff final came around, I was completely done. I was cooked. When the semi-final came around, I was so tired. I played 35 games on the bounce. And I knew going into those games, I was kind of out on my feet. And I just remember thinking, it's three games. Three games of your life. Just just run around. Um, and when we, in the build-up to the week, I just completely shut myself off. And really kindly, I've never spoken to him since, but I remember Sean Newton, the last day we trained at Molyneux, we trained here and it was an evening before we went to Wales and he came up to me and he said to me you're going to win us the playoff final and I was like okay and he was like I've watched you training all week we trained to get a new physical plan he said I've watched you you are in the zone um, so I think bizarrely just because I was fortunate enough to get the opening goal it just all came out and um, that, that's what it was it was just a build up of every energy frustration excitement joy of locking yourself in this emotional bubble for a week. I think it was a bit like a bottle of pop that you shake when you open it, it was just boom. Um, unfortunately, it was only the seventh minute, so could, have, easy, could yeah. have easily went the other way. See, on, on, on that, isn't that just down to maybe Sean Newton knew exactly what you needed? You know, because like, like you say, you've shut yourself away. You, you, you've, you've just played 35 games on the bounce, you know, and as you're trying to get yourself in the zone and maybe he just thinks, you know what? You because know, that's it, because you yourself, I, I already know by just being in your company that you'll see things that not many people will see just being in the dressing room. So maybe Sean just seen that you maybe just needed those words to say, that's exactly what I needed to. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know about yourself, Chris, but like all players, I needed, although I had a huge belief in myself, I needed constant reassuring. And maybe that was perhaps Newt's knowing me and yeah. that's what I needed and that maybe was the G I've never I've never spoken about it. I'd like to ask it's him crazy, yeah. Because interestingly when you when we score he comes up to me and I won't tell you what he said, but he's basically <laughs> saying, I, t- I, t- I told yeah. you, with a few other things. And I remember him saying to me, I told you, I told you, I told you. But he was a very, uh, I mean, Newt was amazing for us that year. He got some really, really big goals for us. He was a really good right winger. Um, but he was a very mature player for his age, I mean, he knew he knew the game. He understood the game. He was a really big, big character. He was a great lad as well. Top, top fella. So, what were you like at half time in that game? Um, no word of a lie. I remember sitting there. This is a God's honest show. I remember sitting there. I didn't actually say a prayer, but I remember looking up to basically the roof, which was my heaven, and saying, "Please don't take this away from me," because we were three and up. Like the only thing you can do now is throw it away. It's it's the game's done. It's over. The only thing you can do now is throw it away. And I remember saying, please, God, please, please, please don't take this away from me. That's the God's honest truth. And then 10 minutes into the second half, they got a penalty. And I was like, what are you doing to me? Because <laughs> um, I genuinely believe, uh, and Michael Brown, who missed it, I know Brownie really well. We we live in the same area and we our kids go same football. And I see him all the time. Brownie scored about 25 goals that year. But I think he'd got about 10 pens. And I remember thinking, if he scores this, we'll go. Because it, you you cannot lose from 3-0 down. Yeah. And at 3-1, you've got it all to lose and they've got everything to gain. And I remember thinking, on the pitch, if, if he scores this, we're in big trouble. And uh, Matty made a great save. 
Yeah, he did, and he's uh, he's certainly lived off that same. <laughs> yeah, he's a multi-millionaire because of that, Matty. <laughs> um, talking to Matty and to Paul Butler and to Lee Naylor, what they all seem to say is that the final like ten minutes of that game is one of the most surreal parts of their career because the crowd and the way everything was going and Sir Jack on the big screen with a couple of minutes to go, thumbs up and and all of that. And kind of, because you were kicking towards the Wolves fans, so you just see this amazing like vista of golden black celebration. I mean, it's strange hearing you say that. I can't, I I can't, I don't really remember the game. I remember the goal just flying in, it's half time, the penalty. Um, Bizarrely, the game was actually on Sky a few weeks ago uh, on you know old classics and should I say vintage, vintage football all over. and it was on that and I didn't realise actually the chances Sheffield United had that day and Matty pulled off an unbelievable save from deflection in the first half missed a penalty I think they've hit the post it was goal line clearances I didn't realise until I watched it because I've never actually watched the game back I didn't realise actually what a what a tough game it was you know uh, we were just lucky on the day everything Everything just, you know, went into, you know, we were, we were fortunate on the day. Everything went well for us. Because it's such the strangest thing that, that with all the episodes we've done of this, and we've had a lot of Looms's era's guys in, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> there is a real thing of the 2009 team always feel like they're compared to you guys. Okay. And that the fans love you guys more than they love your team. Yeah, well, I, I never, I never really experienced this. I never, I never felt like that. I think the likes of Carl Henry, who was captain, local boy, I think he was very aware of it, and he's come in and spoke about it. You know, I think Kate Steels as well. I think they were, they were aware of this. But for me, yeah, it was just got on with the job, isn't it? And football, football is football, isn't it? Yeah, because you you can't. It's not your fault. You can't affect it. You're in a different time, a different place, completely different team. You just focus on yourself and get on. For it. I, I, you know, stuff like that wouldn't bother me. Because I think his biggest annoyance for Carl Henry is that you guys went down the following season and they, yeah. st- they stayed up and they don't get the credit know, for it. Yeah, which is amazing achievement because you know staying up in the Premier League is it's just. I remember playing in the Premier League that year, thinking like winning. Away, I'm not sure if he did win away from home, but. Playing away from home was so hard. Like yeah. a win is is gold, especially for a club like Wolves in that year that haven't spent X amount of money. And so what those guys did was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, get promoted is one thing. I think to stay up. Unfortunately, when you stay up, you don't get anything for it. But I think I think maybe if you spoke to Mick and managers who have done that, might even argue that staying up was a bigger achievement than actually getting up. I don't know. But you know those guys deserve mm. huge amount. It was a really good team that went up that year as well. Your, your team very. I remember playing against you. Some really. I remember playing here actually. Some really good players. I mean that Premiership season that you had. There were some remarkable games in that campaign, not least of which the three-three at Man City, where you score an absolute beauty into the top corner. Yeah, I think we conceded quite. Like, I think Sean Wright Phillips scored the equaliser, yeah. didn't he? Uh, Ninety plus. Was it that late? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we were three one up actually, were we? Uh, you were two nil up. Oh, two nil up. And then it went back to two two, and then you oh, went three God. two up. Yeah, yeah. That's the only time I've played there actually. I mean, some of those games, some of those that team still, it was. I think sometimes there's that element of like there was a group of you that even though you admit that you wanted more players to come in, you didn't really give it up. 
I mean, Chris, you'll know yourself as a footballer. If you've got anything about you, that's what you do. Um, you know, everybody shows it in different ways. I, I, you know, I can't tackle to save my life. One thing I loved about Glenn when he was here, if you didn't tackle or run around like a head case, you, you didn't play. And I remember looking at him thinking, hang on a minute, you were the opposite of that. But it was his understanding of what it takes to be a footballer if you want to be a footballer. And I, I loved that about him and he kind of added that to people's games. I... I can't tackle, I can't head the ball, I've never scored a head in my life like this man is, he's scored loads. <laughs> but Glenn would, Glenn had you doing those things, you know, tackling, running around, winning headers, tracking back, all the stuff that I probably didn't do and should have done. Um, but it's that recognition of what it takes or what you need to, I always remember playing United here, and it's interesting, you've got a picture of Keith Downing up there. I remember playing United here and we beat them 1-0, Kenny Miller scored. But I remember Keith Downing saying to me before the game, Looks back, he run around, tackle and win your headers. He said, you'll get a standing ovation for that. And he said, that's what you're paid to do. And I've never forgot that. And I still say that to players now. I've never forgot that. See, it's funny that you, you bring Glenn Hoddle up there because it's kind of, I guess, a period of time that Wolves fans don't look back in, in great favour. But a lot of the players, the yeah. ex-players that we've had on, speak very highly of Glenn. The way that he went about his tactical... Uh, knowledge, everything about it. So give us a little bit more. He he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And what a lot of people probably don't know or won't remember or not aware of in the in the year. I think we finished seventh and we took a lot of flack. And fair enough, absolutely. You know, club like us. I think we were favourites to go up, and we had a squad that should have went up, but. Uh, really early in the season I think we started really well and Carl Court had a load of goals early doors he got injured for a long period of time mm. Kenny Miller Inti got injured toward game of the season was out for a long time I think Jackie McNamara had done his cruciate and Glenn was really really unlucky with injuries that year and I actually felt, I think did he finish 7th? You finished 7th but you were I think about 8 points off Yeah and I actually honestly believed as a player that year what he achieved was really good considering what I remember walking away from that thinking um, what you've achieved this year is actually brilliant considering what you had available to you. I thought it was a really good achievement considering I'd played in a team that, an outstanding team in, in my first year here that didn't go up but played some scintillating football and the following year having gone up, I think Glenn's achievement to do what he did was actually incredibly impressive. But the bottom line is you big club, big players, big team, big stadium, full house, huge support, you know, to finish seven is actually just not good enough and there's no getting away from that. And I think because of that, he probably suffered. I, I remember feeling really sorry for when we played a game at home. Uh, I think it was Coventry. We were 1-0 up at half-time. We got booed off. We won 1-0. We got booed off. There was a huge big banner in the top of the stand saying, huddle out. And I remember feeling really, really disappointed for him and upset for him yeah. because he was a brilliant coach. Like, so far ahead of his time it was untrue The Old Gold Club powered by Blythe Group official partner of Wolverhampton Wanderers So that was the show on with the podcast um, I say it, it's really fascinating because we talk about that Glenn Hoddle era and I think it was just because he didn't really score many goals but like um, fans didn't like it yeah, to be honest, I can't see. It's interesting you're hearing you say he didn't score many goals. I can't actually remember in terms of, you know, goals scored, goals forward. And actually, in a bizarre way, it probably kind of supports what you said. I actually can't remember that many. I remember a lot of games playing for Wolves, but I can't actually remember that many yeah. on the Glen, believe it or not. Um, so maybe that supports the argument of what you're saying. Um, I just felt he was really unlucky with injuries in his time here. He was a, he was a brilliant, brilliant coach, a workaholic. Something that really impressed me about him 
was he worked tried really hard to have a relationship with players because clearly he had a reputation of maybe not being a great man manager or that sort of thing and um, and I'd heard different stories about Tottenham and stuff like that and I could see he worked really really hard at that with the group I didn't think he was comfortable with it but it was obvious to me he made a big big effort to have a, a more personal relationship with the group that that to me was important I could see he was really trying Players respect that I certainly did anyway yeah He kind of he asked he kind of put a kind of different responsibility on you you had to kind of change the way of playing you know position was that a conversation to be had or is that something that you just accepted and took on board or um, I never had a conversation but something I was aware of when I talked about my injury that I had I was never the same player after that mm. I had lost I was never I was never rapid but I was quick and I was comfortable taking people on and stuff like that when I tore my groin um, when I came back we played 25 games in a bounce and we got promoted and I just thought I was just tired and it was long season it took me the following year to realise that I wasn't the same player anymore and I'd lost a yard of pace um, so Glenn paying me in midfield was something that I really liked and because he played three in midfield you know, I was never going to play in a four, in, with, in four four two or anything like that um, so he made me my most satisfying year for Wolves was playing in midfield Personally, I felt I had my best year for Wolves playing in midfield for Glenn. But to the Wolves fan, they want to see you flying down the wing, scoring goals, putting crosses in. Uh, in my first year, I got in the PFA team of the year. Second year, we got promoted. But that, for me, was the best year I had. Understanding my body and where I was at as a player, and I can't do the things I used to do. And it made me a rounded footballer. And because of that, I played for another 10 years. Yeah. Maybe without that, I maybe wouldn't have played. So... He absolutely developed me and he developed the brain on yep. understanding of how the game works and, and little things. So it wasn't a, he never spoke to me about it. Um, forget about me, take me out of the equation. I think Glenn was very good at identifying what people can do. Um, so say somebody like you, yourself, Chris, wherever you played. I don't mean I know exactly where you played, trust me. I'm fed up watching you score on goals against us. <laughs> but he would identify maybe that somebody like yourself could probably be a good centre-half because of the attributes you have and your game yeah. understanding and uh, being a fantastic leader and uh, people that players looked up to. He'd be the ballsy one that would put you there and then watch you grow, watch you play well. You know, He, he would see that and do that, whereas other managers might go... Not, not, can't take that risk. Yeah, it, it was good. Really, it was just a. It was a super, super coach. When he left, you left. Yes. Reportedly, you refused a reduced contract. Is no. that true? No. So when I when I was at the club, I I, I signed in two thousand one, and I ha I signed a really really strong deal. Uh, when Glenn was here, they offered me like heavily reduced terms, which I turned down straight away. Um, and then Glenn offered me more money which I turned down again then he offered me more money which I turned down again and the reason I kept turning it down was because I'd been at the club for five years and I felt I, I felt I was stale and I needed a fresh challenge and I need to go to a new club with new players, new fans, a new manager new chairman to get I knew there was like 10-15% missing I remember saying to Dave please buy a left winger no matter how bad I play you pick me Please give me, I need something else. I need a chance. I need somebody to get me going again. I'm trying as hard as I can, but there's some, it's, I'm, there's just something missing. Um, and the reason what happened with Glenn, so why I decided myself, well, I need a new challenge. 
And then Glenn did something which I'll never ever forget. He had a budget to buy X amount of players. And I remember him saying to me, right, I'm going to bring, I can't remember the number, let's say it's five players in. He said, I'm going to forfeit one of those players to get you the money that you're looking for. And when he, to make that sacrifice as a coach to say, I will, I will do without a player that I need because I want you to stay. I remember getting off the phone ringing my dad and saying, I don't care about the money. I don't give a what it is. I went, I want to play for that guy. So I was all set to sign again. And then another lovely thing, which I'll always remember, I never forgot, because Glenn was incredibly private, I believe. I don't know him very well. He was very, very private. Nobody got into a circle. It was, you know, there was a a ring around that and nobody really got into it, my understanding was. And he rang me to say, um, I've got a big problem at the club, so can you just hold forward? It was a Friday. And he said, I'll know more by the end of the weekend what I'll be doing. And I remember him saying to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my career in your hands now because I'm now telling you something that nobody else knows because w- there was a problem. I don't know what the problem was. I'm assuming it was budgets and money and stuff like that. And he just said, if you can give me till Monday. And then he phoned me on the Monday and he said, I'm basically, I'm really sorry, but I'm, and before anybody knew, and he said, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm not staying. I couldn't agree what I wanted to do. And something which... I think represents him in a fantastic light and tells you the type of guy he is. He really, really tried to talk me into staying. But once he'd gone, that was me done. So I left. But initially I wanted to leave because I felt it was right for me, first and foremost, because I'm not going to sit here and lie and say it's all about the club because everybody wants to look after themselves, first and foremost. And I just thought it was right for the, the fans and the club and I'd been here five years and... I just thought you need a friend. You need to see new, new bodies, new faces, new people. And actually, when that happened, and Mick came in, and people like Chris and all that, you know, Jarvis and Kitely and Carl Henry and stuff like that. Well, kind of what I'm saying to you is proved that I was, I was right. I wasn't part of it, but I was right. It needed a fresh start, yeah. and new players, and new impetus, and new energy, and and that proved to be the case, which is great. So everyone's a winner. Was it weird then coming back to the club this summer? This summer. No, I'm, I mean I had an amazing time. I love the club. I always look out for the for the for for the club and the results, and it's great. The club is where it is, and the, you know I remember playing against uh, the gaffer Mickey the year you went up, and and I was absolutely delighted for you. Not feeling sorry for myself that I didn't go up, but Chris, you'll know yourself in football. When you leave a club, you you move on with your life as well. So you've still got that connection and. Uh, and love of uh, of a, of a, of an environment and stuff like that. But you know club moves on it does their thing and you're doing your thing but the opportunity to come back was that's when it becomes a no-brainer so um i was actually in the middle of speaking to another a really really good premier league club and they kind of had a couple of options but uh, i remember you know phoning my wife and my dad and saying look i'm even though it was only a two-month contract i remember saying look that's not to say i would have got the other job because yeah. i was down to the last three i said to my wife now I'm, I'm i'm definitely going to go towards even though the other contract was a two-year deal and as i said i have to say i didn't i didn't get offered a job i just knew it was down to the the last train they were going through the process but i rang them up and said look whatever you do is brilliant but this is this is what i'm going to do um so that's what i did so i came back to the club so that that was just that was a no-brainer right time for looms's rundown straight into it <clears throat> right so it's just all about wolves of course okay. uh right best player that you played with at wolves Jolene Lescott. Oh, that's, now that's interesting. Why Lescott? Because 
Jolene would we'd go and beat somebody three 0 and he'd get man of the match and he deserved it. It was just so easy for him. Um, he was so strong. He was so quick. He's a fantastic defender, one v one, and he actually scored quite a few goals for us and important goals. Um, and also, it was just great to see such a young local lad who just loved Wolves and wanted to progress. Um, I mean, you've got your Paul Inters and Dennis Ewans and people like that. Some some great great players here, but. I loved watching Joel grow. As he, I don't think I'm that much older than him, but <laughs> uh, in terms of my experience, then I was a hell of a lot more experienced than he was. And as I said, he was just brilliant. He, you know, we'd win three 0 and he'd get man of the match, and we'd be all going, "Yeah, you're miles better than everybody else." Uh, he's just fantastic. It's just no surprise to see him fulfil what he did. Yeah. Put it that way. You could see that. Right, the worst trainer at the club. Oh probably punch my head in but I'd probably say Incy <laughs> when he did train yeah. when he turned up uh, the biggest motor Incy <laughs> uh, who was your best friend at Wolves best friend I would say Michael Oakes who I still Oakes he's still play golf it was just a super super nice guy who never wanted to be a footballer <laughs> basically um, yeah Oaks, I would say Oaksy yeah cool. uh, the best and worst dress sense um, George and Da, do you know George? Yeah, legend. George used to turn up in like trousers and spotless black shoes, and <laughs> be walking across this muddy field. Like George, what are you doing? He looked like he walked in an office, immaculate every day. Never seen anything like it. He must be a wealthy boy. Worst, would, I'm gonna say Mo Kamara. I shouldn't say that because he's still about Mo, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Mo's looking slack when he came out. Like, Has he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to say. He's got the only Mo. He's got the only It's all I believe. I'm hearing big things. <laughs> Mo, I'm coming. <laughs> uh, the, who was the funniest player that you played with? Uh, funniest? Uh, George was a funny guy, actually. Really, really funny guy, I would say, George. Right, and uh, the best manager you worked for here at Wolves? Oh, <laughs> that's so you, really you've hard. You've talked a lot about both of them. Yeah, the, very highly. Yeah. If you know, to be brutally honest about it, it's it's, it's Glenn. Glenn was Glenn was Glenn was the best manager I've ever worked with. Full stop. And I've worked with some really good ones. Um, you know, in terms of coaching and stuff like that. But that doesn't make you. Glenn was the best coach, hundred percent. Dave Dave was a brilliant manager. Glenn was a brilliant coach. Um. You know, and I was fortunate to work with Dave again at Cardiff as well. Um, but as you, you've touched on it already yourself, you hear people talking about Glenn. He was he was like he was way ahead of his time. Spot on. What was the best goal you scored? Um, funnily enough, the best goal I scored wasn't at the Millennium Stadium. I scored a goal at Stockport, a half volley. Um, I'm, lo- the- I'm looking at the lads, and one's one's shaking his head, one's nodding. You know, one's an old brain in terms of importance and what it was. And the goal against um, uh, Sheffield United at Cardiff was obviously hugely significant. It was a good goal, but um, I actually scored a few better goals than that for Wolves, believe it or not. They just weren't important. <laughs> <laughs> they were just nothing goals. What was the best game that you were involved in? Um... I found the games against West Brom were magnificent. The atmosphere was phenomenal. And I actually enjoyed going there, playing there, because I loved the idea of, you know, that pressure you're under, a big home crowd. Uh, we played there a couple of times in the evening. You know, night games. Yeah. Night games are special. Tiny little Wolves crowd in the corner, but yet you can hear them over every... 
I, I, I loved actually West Brom away. That was fantastic atmosphere. Quality. Uh, and what would you say is your proudest moment at Wolves? Getting Cardiff, obviously getting promoted. It was just, it was just a huge relief more than anything. Um, just again, keep saying it for what the club had gone through over. We were just so aware of the. If you want, you know, they used to have banners up saying, I can't remember many, it was like 29 years or something. 19, I think it was. Was it 19? I knew there was a nine in it, but just we used to see banners of it. It was there in front of us. I think just the relief and of getting up and being part of history with the club, I think yeah. that's just, you know, just fortunate to be part of it. The club's had some amazing times, certainly in recent years as well. So just to be part of one of those occasions. And as I've said before, it's just great that once it's done, it's done. Nobody can that's take it away. You, you know, you're there. So I would have to say that. 19 years, 13 it, days, 22 hours and 20 minutes was on the there banner. There you go, there you go. I was only 10 years out. Not bad, not bad for me, that. No, good times. It was. Thank you for coming in. A pleasure. Thank you for having Thank me. You. I really appreciate it. Mark Kennedy, Old Gold Club. Thanks for listening to the Old Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts. Our official broadcast partner, Blythe Group, are currently recruiting for multi-skilled and single trades for both the insurance repair and construction sectors, working across their three offices, Wolverhampton, Maidenhead and Manchester. To find out more, visit theblythegroup.co.uk slash careers. Wolves TV, the home of live uninterrupted radio commentary of every single Wolves game. But that's not all. Wolves TV also brings you extended and alternative match highlights, interviews with the team, behind-the-scenes features and training coverage, plus see every goal Wolves score from every angle. So check out Wolves TV online at wolves.co.uk or on the move via the Wolves app.